Hey y'all, this episode is brought to you by my new book, Find Your Rainbow. Find Your Rainbow is a full-color guide and activity book filled with interactive and positive ways for young readers to work through issues like self-esteem, positive thinking, and even bullying. I worked on this book for two to three years. It is filled with tons of colorful illustrations, my personal stories, and I think it will really help the girls in your life. You could find the book online, but really, I recommend going to your favorite independent bookstore and asking them for Find Your Rainbow. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Rainy Day Diaries, an imperfect podcast that will dive headfirst into how you can thrive in your creative life and business, even if you struggle with mental wellness. I am your host, Jennifer Lynn, and as a longtime struggler of anxiety and depression myself, I hope this podcast will help you realize that you could still get stuff done when you deal with all these crazy things on a daily basis, that you're not alone, and that falling down does not mean you won't get back up again. I thank you so much for listening, and as always, if you have any suggestions or questions or topics you'd love to hear about, please email me at jenniferlynn at gmail.com. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Hi. (laughs) So nice to talk with you, to meet you. I've been following your work and especially since preparing to talk with you today, I listened to your podcasts, interviews, and it's just been amazing. You have such a great voice. I'm a voice person because I love to sing. So it's been nice to listen to someone with such an interesting, soothing, pretty voice. And just, I've been gleaming so much, um, positivity and mindfulness. And I also, of course, love your visual art. That's how we first got connected. So it's really cool to finally sort of bring all of that together and chat with you. I feel like I'm on your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That was so awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Well, I am incredibly excited to talk to you too. I also have been stalking you for a long time. That's what it's called before you become friends, I think. <laughs> if you can even call that anymore because we're all just kind of stalking each other until eventually we sometimes are friends. Right. That's people. like where we start now. Yeah, I'm finally at the point where like I think most of the people that I talk to on a consistent basis I have met from the internet. Like <laughs> Which is neat. You have a whole new way of making friends. It's so, it's like such a blessing and then so terrifying Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Not terrifying for me, but terrifying being a mom and knowing like that's how you meet people. Because when I was uh, growing up, like the internet was probably still really scary, but you didn't really like, there wasn't as much awareness about it. Like if you think about it, like, I don't know if you ever went in like the AOL chat rooms, like... Shouldn't have, but I know. And then I was always eighteen, of course. Like, naturally. Well, this is a weird way to get off the podcast. (laughs) I do remember in third grade when the library at my elementary school got two those colorful Apple Mac computers. I wanted one of those so bad. They had a turquoise blue one and like a really pretty shade of pink. Yes. And I would stay after school and wait in a big line of kids that are just waiting just to sit at it for like five minutes. And then the timer goes up and somebody else sits at it. And to go from that to like, this is how we make friends is just mind blowing. I mean, school memories, I feel like you could just have an entire, like, let's meet up with a friend over coffee and we could spend five hours only talking about school memories. It's like, 
those kinds of moments just stand out. It's sort of why I do what I do, right? We're making, trying to make a splash in this wild story that is your first like 12 years of life where you're in this one strange building or maybe a few if you move around schools where there are colorful computers and just a bunch going on. <laughs> so uh, were was your school experience like more traumatizing or more wonderful? <laughs> That's a funny question. Well, I actually, as it's becoming fall right now, I've been remembering a wonderful memory. You know, of course there's both, but one really wonderful memory I had was of my second grade teacher reading aloud this book about all of the kids trying to put on a Halloween party. And it was a chapter book. She would walk around the classroom reading it out loud every day. And I loved it so much. And I kept asking her, where did you get that book? Where did you get the book? And she was like, oh, at a book fair a couple of years ago. I don't know if we could find it for you again. And then on Christmas Day, so that was like, you know, around Halloween, fast forward two months, underneath my Christmas tree, that teacher had sent home to my mom secretly that book and wrapped it. And my mom put it under the tree. So on Christmas day, I opened up what was my favorite book ever that was about Halloween and was like, best gift ever. And that's still, you know, just like pressed into my mind when I think of fall, it's like, that book and that surprise. It's amazing. But, but that could be like a huge triggers the negative version. But like, I can't think of the positive, like part of like why you do what you do. So we like went all over the place. So normally I introduce the guest <laughs> and I say like, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit and talk about uh, what you like, what you wanted to be growing up and then how that led to what you're doing now and go ahead. Yeah, that leads perfectly into create songs for kids. Um, The genre is sometimes called kindy music or kindy rock. It's like kids and indie. And I really love writing songs about books because I love to read and I taught kindergarten to sixth grade. And while I was doing that, I would end a class or start a class with a picture book and realized how musical they were inherently and how much I could read the same book to a kindergarten class to a sixth grade class and we all had similar feelings and resonated with storytelling and so I started writing songs about each of those books so that we could unite even more around them and I just really wanted to give kids who weren't as into the technicality of reading each word and trying to summarize a picture book to be able to access the book through music, to hear it, to sing it, and then be able to kind of internalize what it is to, to know a story and to share a story and started doing that and created a few albums and all of that's on my ukulele, which is my favorite instrument ever. Um, and I think it really did. A lot of this stemmed from my time finding solace through literature and a connection and, you know, little magical moments like that really tend to revolve around a story or a book in a lot of my personal history. Did you want to be a musician or a teacher when you were younger? Yeah, I remember in 
grade school when it was like, fill in the blank, what do you want to be? Um, which is a lot of pressure for like any human. And <laughs> I remember though, writing the word singer, I was really, really drawn to the idea of being a singer. Um, but interestingly enough, my favorite part is not always the getting up there and singing part. It's usually the writing the song or the sharing with a friend, co-writing a song with a friend, making a YouTube video, sort of the things that kind of go with the idea of being a singer. But I think I knew from a young age, this is definitely, I knew the second I started singing, I felt calm and I could hear myself, hear what was inside. And I think that helped to give me clues about what could be a journey that I would love even when I'm 30 kind of thing. But it's so fascinating because so you, well, why don't you talk a little bit about what your life looks like now? Like, what do you actually do for a living? Because you're not a teacher anymore. (laughs) I'm not a teacher anymore. And it's pretty cool how I decided to move from teaching sort of what I would have called it moving on to the road. At the time, I was in the classroom and one of my friends is also a musician. And she was like, I would love to become a teacher. And I said, well, I would love to go on tour. So she co-taught with me for half a year and got to know all of my students and sort of, you know, picked up where I left off. And then by then that gave me some time to plan a tour. And that was really fun. That was a venture into being a business person and sort of calling the shots about where do I want to go? How am I going to make this happen? How am I going to finance it? And I bootstrapped it all with what was left of my teaching salary, created my first album, produced and co-wrote it with some of my friends. I went to Berkeley College of Music. So a lot of my peers from college became my collaborators on my first project and then I took that on the road and it's pretty cool how I set that up because at the time I was communicating mostly on Twitter with teachers and I've moved toward other platforms now especially since a lot of educators have been loving to connect via YouTube and um, at the time though Twitter was the way we chatted so they would I would maybe get five tweets that said hey, we are, we're some friends in Portland. Maybe you could come and visit. And then I would say, all right, let's see how I can make this happen. And so I picked a few cities and the teachers really rallied for me. And I started visiting schools, venues, book festivals, and did that for about two years. And now what my day looks like is a lot of content creation. So I have my next album coming out, which is Storytime Sing Along Volume 3. And it's songs that have a lot of book songs, so songs about books, and then my own version of a freeze dance song that I'm so proud of because freeze dance is best. And this is all ocean themed. It's like a beachy themed freeze dance. And um, now I also am working on a lot of books. So I have a picture book called Studio coming out, published with Tundra Books, they're based in Canada and I got to meet them and I am psyched about this book because it's illustrated by the little friends of printmaking. So they're a husband and wife duo in LA and they use printmaking as their illustration process. And when I saw the illustrations, it just completely like melted my whole heart because to see your words become illustrated as a narrative story 
in someone else's voice is like the most powerful gift that I wasn't expecting. Everyone had told me, you know, the day that I got to see the illustrations for my picture book was like such a magical day. And it really was. So I'm working on that and I have, you know, sort of a, um, really a commitment to making the kind of content that I feel like I would love to have read when I was a kid and especially musical content because I was a young musician at heart stuff that really reaches kids who might be looking to pursue music or some type of creative outlet. Did you write songs growing up? Yeah, I played the piano first and I remember that it it takes a while to get piano under your fingers. I could pick up ukulele quickly. I know that you're learning too, right? Yeah, I actually play at libraries too. (laughs) Yeah, so we're just twinning here. It's awesome. (laughs) Did you start on ukulele or did you try other instruments first? So I did piano growing up, Okay. but I could play by ear. So I would have my teacher record it and unbeknown beknown is not a word unknown to him I would just learn how to play the song but I wouldn't learn how to read the notes so I still can't read the notes so I only know like the beginning part of like six songs like I could play like the very beginning of like a Titanic song a Whitney Houston song I could play heart and soul with both hands that I didn't learn from a music teacher I learned that like just being in band like that's what we did in our time off um And like, I don't know, I could play like, so, and then my family actually has like a vintage guitar business. And so I learned a little bit of guitar uh, when I was like in my twenties, because I met like all these cool guitar song, singer songwriters, and I wanted to be hip too. And they, my parents sent me this really beautiful uh, Ibanez guitar, like acoustic electric, it's purple, but it's huge. And then I went to an event at the library with a friend who had a kiddo. And I noticed on the very top shelf, they had ukuleles, like just in the kids department. So I went to my branch and I'm like, can you rent ukuleles? And they're like, yes, here, have one. And so I rented it and my goal was to learn, my husband was away and my goal was to learn how to play the ukulele for him before he got back in like three days. And then I haven't stopped playing since. So it's really cool. Like once I learned, I'm like, oh wow, kids songs are generally pretty easy. Actually, a lot of songs are pretty easy because I on Insta stories the other day I played a Beatles song and I played a Jason Mraz song and it's literally the same notes but it's depending on like the timing and I'm like this is how easy it is to play the ukulele like if you want to like get into an instrument this is a great instrument to start with like this is the Beatles this is Jason Mraz like same notes like completely different song like And then now I play at library. So the library basically paid for my first ukulele. I wrote to them not having a ukulele. And I'm like, if they hire me, I'll buy one. And then, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. What a cool Thank story. It's almost, I love hearing stories about the ukulele because differently than like how you just described your like piano guitar, it almost feels like 
in the story of your ukulele story and a lot of people's, it comes to them. It's like, then I saw one or like, then there was one in this one place. Like it has this sense of like mystery and strangeness and like, whoa, it's, it was in your, not in your life one day. And all of a sudden it was the next. And it's like, just, that's cool about it. It's such a weird little instrument. And that's pretty like, spot on for when people begin playing. I think often it's this like kind of interesting awakening in their life. Like over three days, I now do that. <laughs> now, how do I monetize it? Like, <laughs> how did you guys start playing? Um, I was playing guitar in, in college and it was too big, too clunky, you know, bringing it across snowy city the whole time. And one of my friends at lunch was like, I'll trade you if you buy me a burrito. We were at our favorite burrito place in Boston. And he said, if you buy me this burrito, I'll teach you the four chords you need. And that's all you need. And I bet you can play. And he had his ukulele there. So that's what we did. And that's how I learned just over lunch one day compared to years of piano lessons and frustration over guitar. I mean, it just felt so right. And you can bring it with you places, which makes a big difference, especially when you want to play with so much easier and you could still play. So I went to a friend's house. uh, Well, it's a friend's husband's mother's house. (laughs) Like we went, like they came to visit for the hurricane because they had to evacuate. And so I went to his mom's house and I mean, he's my friend too, but like, anyways, so I went to their house and I saw the ukulele just sitting there and I'm like, oh, you have one. And she's like, yeah, I bought it like two years ago, but I don't know how to play it. I'm like, I'll show you. It's like really easy. And then her husband was like, oh, this is amazing. I'll go get my guitar. And then he's like, teach me the Beatles and then teach me wheels on the bus. (laughs) I'm like, okay, let's go. Because I have a 16-month-old, and then my friend has a 9-month-old. So we're like, let's go jam for the babies. That's so sweet. So as as you became an artist, now a musician, what has it been like being a mom, and where did that come into your Are we sure you're not, I'm not on your podcast? <laughs> um. I forget the question already. That's what mom brain does. I don't know if you plan to become a mom one day because I know you just got married, right? Who knows? I, I did just get married. I do know the answer to that one. <laughs> well, if you choose to, you lose your brain. Like, it's not a joke. Like, you, you lose it. Oh, it doesn't really come back. Really <laughs> <laughs> Some people say it will. I'm going to be honest with you. It does not. <laughs> Well, if this is you without a brain, I'm still, it's really still nice. To <laughs> oh, well, thank you. <laughs> every night I ask my husband, would you like some tea? And every night he says, sure. And then I'm on my go with the rest of my life. I don't remember. <laughs> well, that's a great picture book. Can you? Sure. But don't tell anyone on this podcast. No one. listening is allowed to. Do they want to know about how I <laughs> offer people things and then never actually give, would you like to borrow a book? Good. On we go. <laughs> and that's, that's time. People do that to each other. And it's so- like I have to do it right now. That's a good way to be. I'm very much a, I'll add it to the list of things I'll do on that day when I decide to do the right now things. 
So yeah, no, I think it's being a right now person. But then you think about society and society thinks everything has to, has to happen right now. And you have to do like 5,000. So everyone's to do list is like literally like 18 things, but no one has 18 times to do something. And, but then you add everything to the right now and you go, and then you feel horrible about yourself because you didn't do 26 things. (laughs) Oh, this is all about, I am such a nerd about productivity. Teach me, and like, teach me. Um, oh my gosh. Well, I'm, I'm a nerd about learning about it. I'm not exactly, it's not like I've got the, <laughs> the things to teach, but I've been using this one journal for about three go arounds. This is my third round on it. And it basically asks you to prioritize your top three things per day. And every 20 minutes you fill in a bubble, you know, it's one of those. And man, if I wasn't filling in those bubbles and I really look forward to filling it in, I'm like, Oh, can I fill in the bubble yet? If I didn't though, I might just work through until my eyes were burning or not have any concept of like, what is my priority today? So it does help, but I do have that list, you know? And at some days I feel like, I'm not going to make the list because I don't want to worry about it because I don't want to have like 12 bubbles to fill in today. But some days it really, really helps. And I mean, going with that flow is my ideal day and workflow compared to like a giant list or something like a three thing list and a couple bubbles is pro for me. But I was recently in Portland, Oregon. Have you been? No, I wanted to go forever. (laughs) Must, must, must. And there's a store called 1111 Supply. And it's just like tables of books, cards, notebooks, ideas, prompts for kind of like a combination of time management and mindfulness. And it really inspired me of like, here's how you can support yourself through the day without being overly structured. And they even had a notebook that's erasable when you put it in the microwave. That's really weird. (laughs) Does that mean it's like a one page notebook and you erase it every night? Well, you would think, but each page is a different format. So there's like a grid page, a blank page, a dot page, a lined page. So you can pick the page and then, yeah, you put it in the microwave and it erases, which is so sustainable and brilliant. Is it I'm paper? Just like, I'm all about it. It's kind of like a glossy okay. paper and you use erasable pens, but just any erasable pen. That's that really cool? weird. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like as weird as the internet. Like <laughs> it is. <laughs> Back on track. Back to our creative life. <laughs> well, I'm curious what <laughs> you you said you love learning about prioritizing and but you're, you lack that a little bit. Um, so what have you learned that you're not implementing? And then what have you learned that's actually working? Aside from the bubble, which I will say, I literally drew five bubbles in my planner today. And I'm like, I thought of doing a podcast episode called the five week, wait, the five, wait, the five bubble week, because I decided to do like, I'm just going to send like five emails to podcast, like high pod, podcast pitch. That's like a weird thing five podcast pitch emails this week and I'm like you have the whole week it's not like write to these people today 
And so I already did one and five doesn't seem as scary as seven. And so I'm like, okay, if this works for me, like I'm all about, I like use the high, different high color highlighters. It's so fun, right? <laughs> it's fun to do art while you're doing your whole day. I love that. Which, love which planner do you have? Um, it's called the Productivity Planner. And it's, I'm looking around for it because it should be close by. Well, that is one of the things that I do is I move spaces every hour or two. Like I might be in my office space, then I might go out to the kitchen table, and then I might sit in a chair, and then I sit on the floor a lot, a lot, a lot. And I bring everything with me everywhere, my like stack of whatever I'm working on. Um, and I read about that, that people who are really um, inspired by spaces and light and visual art, a great idea is to move around. And that's been just so lovely for me. Plus I have a really sweet dog who follows me everywhere I go and she just sits with me and she's so sweet. So, um, that's one thing that's been working when definitely I, uh, the beginning of this year. So in January, I decided I read this book by Maria Popovia. She has a blog called brain pickings that I love, love, love. And as I was reading her book, it's this huge, thick book about sort of science and psychology and poetry. I thought to myself, to be able to write this book, she must have read so many books. And I started browsing her blog and thought, how many books does she read and how does she find time for this? And then read a post of hers that said, I just prioritize reading as if it were my job, as if it were my, you know, just as important as the writing process. And I made a huge switch and decided to gift that to myself. And now I read as if it were my job. And something about knowing that when I'm reading, I don't have to put it down. It's just as important as something else helped me to, in the times when I am working, really focus and fine tune on, I have to get this song done recording in an hour, because if I do, I get to go back to my like three three hours feeding and sort of the sense of um, knowing that that's my time filler and also my passion. And I get to do it to its fullest extent whenever I want has been a big game changer for me lately. And I always have a stack of varied books, so I try to just let myself read whatever I want. If I want to read something I've, you know, haven't touched in two weeks, I will. If I'm like, I'm committed to finishing this story today, I will finish it. Um, So I give myself like a a hard and fast rule that I can read as much as I want whenever I want and that it's important and top priority. And then also to the flip side, you know, no rules, read what you want do what you want. <laughs> how do you sense. have the brain switch to like, like how did, cause I want to be like that, but my brain waves are like, I hear like a buzzer noise. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you mean when you're reading? You no, I mean noise? like if I take, I don't know what it is. If I watch TV while I'm working, like on the computer, I'm totally fine with that. But if I wanted to go take like 20 minutes to read instead of doing that, then my brain would be like, no, like that's when I would hear the buzzer noise. Like when you go to touch the book, it goes, 
Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so is it because your brain is saying, no, no, you're not allowed to get sidetracked? Or is it like, no, this isn't what my brain wants? And no, it's more like, this is your time to work. You need to work. Like, that's, and even though the book yeah. I want to pick up is like a business book. Like, it's not even like, it's, you know, a novel or something. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I read, so a couple of years ago, I was listening to a lot of podcasts on like productivity. And I remembered this woman had this idea and she was calling it tiger time. And she said, you block out two hours of tiger time a day. And that's when you work and you have focused, concerted effort. And I was doing that. And I just realized that I was, it was the buzzer almost every 10 minutes. It was like, don't want to do it. Don't want to do it. Because I had been so like, this has to be my tiger time. If I don't get through it right now, I'm not going to get through it at all today. And um, I think I've realized that the reading is actually kind of a life hack for me because the second I step away, my brain's like, <sighs> and takes like a nice little breather and my body doesn't hold as tight as whatever my laptop is or my pencil is. And I think it, um, eventually it took a couple weeks, but eventually I retrained my brain to realize, oh yeah, this leads to more productivity. This leads to more creativity. Um, like time, do you know the, the visual artist, Georgia O'Keeffe? Yes. I'm sure. <laughs> I really, really love her. And I love her and her personal style more than I love her art. Like, I really think she's so cool. And I've been collecting books about her life. And as I've been reading those books, one of the things that she shares a lot is that um, real life is, is like really most important. And then that sort of bleeds into her art. And it took me a while to internalize that. I think a lot of artists think like my art is my life. And how can I live outside of my art if I haven't made that thing today? Like there were days when I would feel like the day was all for loss if I didn't write a song or something. And it helped to see her living a life. The life was the beautiful part. And then that poured over into her art. And for now, I think it helps me to read or to do something that's peaceful for me, like reading or playing with my dog, because that's the beauty in my life. And then that can pour back into my art. No, I agree with that. Because at the end of the day, like, yes, we want many of us want to live like a legacy and do good in the world. Hopefully those are like two good things. Yeah, but great. the important stuff other than leaving the impact in the world is your impact with the people around you. like how you lived out your life. So how much money I made this year is important to me and it's cause of a lot of stress. But at the end of the day, it's more important if I laughed with my husband and kiddo today than no matter how much money I bring in. Yeah. And I recently heard this philosophy that I've sort of internalized about story times too. Sometimes I wonder like, when I'm sitting in the middle of it, I get kind of existential. Like, what is the meaning of life? Because you're sitting there with amazing open minds and hearts that are looking to you to share something meaningful. And I can just really 
get so in my head about like, what is everything about? And I think one philosophy that I heard in that direction is simply being there and living in harmlessness is a peaceful act. So by having a harmless energy, by, you know, sitting and reading, I'm like pushing out a peaceful thing. Even if it's not an extreme peaceful act, even if I'm not, you know, striking to save the climate today, I can be peaceful in my own existence. And that's, you know, putting out the good stuff. And I think that takes off some of the pressure of performing. I think a lot of times musicians and you know, when you go to a story time, you know, the kids don't mind, but in your head, you're like, I really want to nail those chords to that new song. And like, if this is good, then they'll love the song and then they'll love music and then they'll love reading. And, you know, and to just zoom out and be like, oh yeah, I'm a peaceful presence here. And they're giving back peaceful energy. And that's great. Like that is just exactly what we're going for and any hurrah moment of I nailed that song is like extra if we can at least get that place of like peaceful harmlessness going and I think like yeah we need to artists especially need to make money and I've talked to a lot of artists of, of who are my friends about that and what a challenge it can be and often my response to artists who might struggle with asking for for more money if they need that for a project or if it's what they their really value of their art is is like if I could take a huge sum of money and give it to anyone in the world I would first give it to people who need it who need that support right the the basics of life and things and I also think that artists are people who can use resources like money for good beautiful things and it's really important that artists have that kind of support because it ripples out right the like we were saying the peacefulness within an artist's spirit within an artist's personal life and happiness and well-being that goes out too that's when they're trying to cut like music and art programs in schools i'm like for some people that is their only good part of their day like it makes me so unhappy because no matter what school you're going to, learning is still learning. And especially with the way the educational system is like, it's very valued on like test scores and cramming information in, but uh, many people don't learn that way. Like they'll learn in the creative way. And by saying that's not important, like, ugh. Yeah. And there are some, I really love that a lot of librarians and teachers in the classroom have really connected with what I'm doing because even as not necessarily a musician first, maybe they're a librarian first or a teacher first, a lot of them take on even the identity as musician to share music with their students, especially if it's been cut in other areas of their lives. Like one of my friends is a librarian in Round Rock, Texas, and started sharing some of my videos that are songs about books in her library classes. And then a couple years later, she picked up the ukulele and she started playing a song every day to start her library time. 
And that's such a game changer. Like, wow. Talk about just taking it into her own hands and kind of filling that gap because music is, and, and any type of art is a way of right peacemaking and bringing happiness to the, the really, I mean, a school day is long and that is a tough thing to try and navigate if you're not clicking with anything except for the arts. So it's pretty cool when teachers take it upon themselves. Thank you to any teacher who's listening. <laughs> it makes me see. It's funny because it is a great thing, but then my brain was just saying, that's just one more thing for someone who's not being valued in their position to have to take on. And it makes me feel overwhelmed. <laughs> I know. And if, if I were in that position, you know, would I be able to take on such a big undertaking? And who knows? I think that's a gift that some people can lean into in that area. And then to the flip side, I think other teachers can take on other other projects that might not be as musical if that's where their heart is at. But one cool thing about music and art is that you can do it without direction too. Like you can be a singer even if you never were in a choir in second grade and you can become an artist when you're 50 for the first time. Mm -hmm. Like that's, there's something really wild and universal about art that even if they don't get it any access for those years, I hope that it comes later in life. And I hope that even a YouTube video might, you know, bring something up because there, there's something very um, uniting and communal about music, even if it's not structurally taught. I hope, I hope that's my, my at least take on like, yeah, it's not a librarian's responsibility to try and um, do that if it, if it just can't be fit in. Cause yeah, that's tough. Like goodness. <laughs> so when you were teaching, you decided to write songs about books. Did you write songs about books before? Like how did that even come about? Well, I was, now that I think about it, I was a little bit writing songs about poetry that I loved and it wasn't for children. It was really an expression of, you know, I'm so, so into poetry. I love reading poetry and it seemed so musical. And I decided to try and see if it would sort of shake into a song, like the way it was. And it usually did. And then I would maybe send it to a friend and be like, Hey, look, we both love this poem. I made it a song or something like that. And then the first picture book that I wrote a song about was The Dot by Peter H. Reynolds. That's perfect. I'm talking to you like right after Dot Day. Yeah, exactly. Yesterday. And, and it was like, I wrote the song six years ago, started celebrating Dot Day right at the same time and shared so it was pretty neat thing I was teaching at the school sang the song recorded on my iPhone a little demo sent it to the librarian who was playing it in the library and the tech teacher walked through and said is that a song about the book the dot I know Peter Reynolds he's my friend I'm gonna email it to him and she emailed it to Peter 
who wrote back and was like, oh my goodness, this is really exciting. Like, let's share this. So then Peter helped me create an animated music video to go with the song. And I drove all the way across town and used my whole life savings of $500 (laughs) to make the best demo that I could afford of the dot song. And just like when I think about that experience, it was so meaningful to be able to do just like connect all the dots <laughs> and just invest in myself and invest in the arts and make this collaborative project. And it gave me a lot of um, mojo and excitement about the idea of writing songs about books. And I had not even really considered it until that moment. So then um, I talked to, to Peter a little bit about it and he was like, I think it would be really fun if you, you know, kept, kept going with this, like, please share it all the, the dot day stuff. Let's just keep it going. So then I decided to write songs about other um, authors books. And I think the second one, this is funny, was about a book called Louise Loves Art. It's on my first album and I have a YouTube video of it. And, um, <laughs> The night before the author illustrator, Kelly Light, she was going to be at the bookstore near my house. I wrote a song about it sitting at my table on like a Saturday night because she was going to be there on Sunday. And I met her in the parking lot and I was like, hi, and had my ukulele and said, I wrote a song about your book. Could I play it for you? And I mean, she must have been like, who is this person? Why are you talking to me in the parking lot? (laughs) And we go inside and the bookseller, her name's Jen Pino at Roman's Bookstore in Pasadena in LA, was making pipe cleaner glasses, these red pipe cleaner glasses, to be like Louise in the book. And I walk up to her and I'm like, hey, I'm Emily Arrow. I wrote a song about this book. Can I please play it at story time? And she's just like, and then I just, I pull out my ukulele and I just start singing it for the two of them standing around the desk at the bookstore. And Kelly Light starts getting, like, teary-eyed and was like, of course you can play it. Please, please join me. And her and I became fast friends. Like, we've been in touch. We meet up with each other whenever I'm in New York. And it's like, um, she tells that story, too, because it's so silly. And, you know, you have to start somewhere and be brave. And I was just like, hey, I wrote this song, and it's your book is important to me. And, um, thankfully (laughs) I've had the support of a lot of authors and illustrators who are like, this is so fun and I can't wait to share it. And that's really, when you're not working in isolation, it becomes just like so exciting to have friends and to share and to sing when they read and when they draw. And it's like, it's the best. That's so awesome. So then did Peter Reynolds little like animated video of your song, well, your song of his book, uh, did it, did that start like you're making YouTube videos? Like how did that come about? Yeah. Well, my students loved to put hand motions to things and I was studying this music ed method, which you would love. 
everybody needs to look this up. It's called Orf Schulwerk. And it's a method of teaching and learning music where you basically get your hands on it first and understand it through playing instead of like, here's the notes on the staff. Now go play this. You play on xylophones, on these big, beautiful instruments. You try playing rhythm sticks. Um, it's singing back and forth, things like that. So I was going and getting my certification in this. And a lot of times they would use a lot of hand movements. But I really learned how to make hand movements that matched through watching what my students would come up with. So I'm pretty sure what I did was I was like, I'm going to sing you a line and then everybody at the same time show me a movement. And then it was just like whatever emerged to the top of the most people doing the same thing we did. Um, so once we had all kind of created, and I would use usually like a the hand movements that kindergartners or first graders would create because I wanted to make sure that the sixth graders didn't make something that just wouldn't settle into all ages. And then they were like, we want to practice at home. We forget the motions. Can you make us a video? <laughs> and, and I thought, well, I guess so. So I made them a motions guide. And then all the parents are emailing me saying, we want to practice this more. Can you send home the video? And here, where's the link? How can we find it? All of the stuff. So um, I decided to just upload it to YouTube. And then I realized how many people were using it to celebrate Dot Day and thought, you know, maybe YouTube videos are something I really enjoy making. Like this was so fun. And thought I start, I've been lately reflecting a lot in um, community theater that I did when I was a kid. Did you ever do theater? I was too scared, but I always wanted to. Okay. It's terrifying. It's very scary. And I remember doing, doing theater and really liking it. And I think that that sort of contributed to me wanting to make these videos. It kind of felt like you get to do a mini theater show. Like you can make your own set and put your, put your own movements and choreography in here. So I started s sort of approaching it like that. And I love the medium of video making and I like editing it. It's so much fun to me to edit videos. Yeah, I'm just going to video a bunch of stuff and send it right over. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me so anxious. Like, <laughs> It makes you anxious to edit it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's something like, I wanted to do for, like, years. And for a little while, I kept trying. And I'm like, I can't do this. Like, <laughs> Well, I'll tell you a tip. I edit on my iPad. And it's a lot easier on your iPad. How do you do that? So if you get Final Cut or like iMovie is already on your iPad, and I have like a pen stylus for my iPad, then you can drag and drop things around. And at a certain point, you just have to be like, good enough. Who cares? But if you're doing like clicks, I think you just can get in your head of like, oh, I need to move that like an inch left. But if you're on your iPad and you just see it, the way it's going to kind of look on someone's phone or whatever, then you realize, meh, what? it's just like close enough. And that has to be the mentality. That's At least that's mine is 
people are watching a video because they want to experience the energy, they might want to hear the music, they might want to hear your voice, they're not trying to like catch whether you dropped that lyric at the right place. And there's so much forgiveness to the medium and that I really like about it. So try it on your iPad. See if that helps. Okay, I'll I'll have to be brave. (laughs) (laughs) So you're such a fascinating mix of like left brain and right brain because you're so creative. Obviously, you're right brain, but you're like, oh, I love reading books about production and planning and productivity. And I love editing these things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're both. I don't know if they have like a, they have like a extrovert and an introvert is an ambervert, but what's a left and right brain? Are you a light? (gasps) You're a light brain. A light brain. Ooh, that's fun. (laughs) Otherwise, it'd be a rift, which isn't as fun. (laughs) I like them both. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> the the um introvert extrovert is for sure me so maybe I am a, a light rift brain <laughs> I'm trademarking these now everyone's going to want to be a, li- a light rift brain <laughs> perfect are you then more right brained oh yeah 100% right brain not organized <laughs> total mess and I get really overwhelmed with learning, which has to do more with my upbringing than my brain. But now it's my brain. Well, the overwhelm exists 100%. Not on only my left or my right side. So I'm right there with you. Okay, we're in, the, we're in this wilderness together. <laughs> yeah, as much as I may like things, it doesn't mean I'm not overwhelmed by them. See, isn't that funny, though? Why should there be both? Why should there be both overwhelm and enjoy? Yeah, that's one thing I've recently been thinking a lot about is the ability to hold in your existence both like a sadness and a joy or both and yeah, like overwhelm and passion for something because I think we dislike the overwhelm feeling so much that it like dulls the shine of the thing we like, even if we're completely in the presence of it. Like, um, for example, I was just in a bookshop with one of my friends and he was like, (laughs) I can't be in here anymore. I'm so overwhelmed by all the books I'll never read. (laughs) Which is that, right? It's like, I love everything in this bookstore so much that if I can't have it all right now in my brain, I'm overwhelmed and the overwhelm outweighs the love of it. And like trying to find that balance of like, I want to love it as much as I'm overwhelmed and let them both exist is where I'm headed. That's what I'm, that's what I'm going for. You know, what's funny is that um, my husband and I are going to New York in a couple months and I'm like, but if we can't eat everything while we're there, then should we eat nothing? Like, <laughs> because we moved here from New York and there's like way more places than days we have. And none of the, and not, and none of the everything I want to eat is like in the same location. And so like we went to bed the other night and instead of being excited, I was like, how are we going to eat everything? <laughs> Why restaurants need to have a one bite option. <laughs> Seriously. And they all, we have to line up all of them the day that I'm there so I can go to all of them. <laughs> yes. 
because Brooklyn <laughs> is very far from the Queens Chinatown and I have to eat in both. How can you? <laughs> My husband was like, I love him because he's like very pragmatically, he laid back because we were in bed. And so he's like, well, we're there for three days. I think we can get a good eight meals out of that time. So we'll just pick our top eight. We'll make it work. And I'm like, how many can I put in my suitcase? 20? And he's like, I don't know about that. <laughs> okay. I mean, there's always to go. To go orders last minute for the plane ride home. Well, there's like an Asian bakery that I love. And I'm, my friend came to visit us. The one we're staying with came to visit us a couple months ago. And she's like, how many lemon rolls do you want? I'm like, 20? And she's like, I don't know if I can bring you 20. I'll bring what I can. And I'm like, 19? <laughs> really? What is a lemon? <gasps> My favorite treat ever. <laughs> so the next time you go to New York, you have to go. I only know where it is in certain parts of Queens. I don't know if they have Theta in the Manhattan. Um, the Manhattan Chinatown. Because there's actually three Chinatowns. I don't know if you know that. In New York. <laughs> In the Queens Chinatown, it's called Feta, and it's a, like, spongy outside and, like, a lemon inside. But it's, like, a lot of Asian pastries are influenced by, like, French cuisine. And so it's, like, a soft, fluffy sponge. Have you ever watched the British Bake Off or the British Baking Show? They yeah. make a lot of Genoese sponge, and it's kind of like that. But you have to whip all these egg whites, and it's, like, I can't do that. And so... <laughs> So I just have to buy like 400 lemon rolls when I go and then eat them all in like a day because they go bad. <laughs> but that sounds incredible. I really have to I learn like how to make sponge. Treat is not chocolate or, or maybe it is. Maybe this isn't your favorite. What is your favorite treat? Oh, goodness. You don't have to. Say. I really, it's really hard to decide because as I got, I was telling my husband this the other day, it's as I got an older, like what I would pick when I was younger, which was whatever the death by chocolate was is so different than now. And now it's like, okay, let me rephrase it this way. So we went to this fancy restaurant the other day and I just wanted dessert. And so I like researched all the desserts and they have like 25, like it's like crazy. And I'm like, okay, we have to spend $35 in dessert. I need this one and this one. And so one of them was like an enormous apple pie. So cool. It was like shaped like a dome. And it had cinnamon ice cream on top, which actually wasn't as good as I was hoping. And then the other one was a trio. <laughs> it was called the Brown Sugar Trio. And it had like cheesecake with like cookie dough on the bottom. And it had a blondie. And it had the most delicious ice cream sandwich I've ever had. They must have used such good cocoa in these cookies. No. If you ever come visit me in Florida, we will find a way to go. We just have to save up $35. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're busking for dessert. I can do that. I'm happy to do that. Oh, we can book two shows at the library. And then we have way more than $35. <laughs> then we can get dinner too. <laughs> Delicious. This sounds amazing. What's your favorite treat? Well, I love snickerdoodles. They're like, you know, sugar cookie-ish and rolled in cinnamon. It's like sugar. a cinnamon sugar twist. Yeah, I love the flavor of non-chocolate things, but also sometimes when I eat chocolate, it makes me lose my voice. Like I get like scratchy, no voice. Really? Yeah. Like any yeah. type of chocolate? 
no, it's usually like a really dark, like cocoa, you know, if I were to drink hot chocolate, game over. Like, no, no. How long would you lose your voice for? Like a full day. So I drank that at 11 a.m. It would be like next day at noon, I would start feeling normal again. <laughs> That's crazy. Chocolate is not I know. <gasps> and rarely I'm so sorry people. for you. I'll you can live vicariously through me. Thank you. I live vicariously through a lot of people. <laughs> Maybe you have like some kind of allergy. Most likely. Never been never been officially declared as that's that. so sad. <laughs> yeah. So you can't do like chocolate chip cookies, or is that like an acceptable amount of chocolate? No, that's not. <gasps> that's not Oh no, my heart. <laughs> Um, I like to make the same recipe, but sub in the, you know, something else like white chocolate's much more acceptable for my belly. And then I'll sub in like, you know, cranberries or raisins, which everyone else thinks is boring, but this really works out in my favor because if there's a spread of cookies, I get all of the oatmeal raisin because no one wants those for some ridiculous reason. If I brought home oatmeal raisin to my husband he'd be like end game we're over like <laughs> wait the chocolate chip cookies I will say one of my favorite cookies is from this um so I used to work at anthropology and my and the district manager of like our region I think ended up completely I don't know if he still works at anthropology and his partner runs the bakery but they opened a bakery in Orlando and before they did that they would make cookies for like I don't know if it was everybody, like their favorite people or the people in their department. And since I worked in the art department, he would bring me cookies and he had these white chocolate cherry, wait, white chocolate cherry pistachio cookies. And they were so good. <laughs> My favorite cookie ever. Pistachio. He made these? Yeah. Now they have a bakery in Orlando. Aww, it's called Bluebird. That's- like the cafe in Nashville. I did not know that, but if I ever go to Nashville, I will have to see that bird. Yeah, that's cool. It's a music venue. It's like if you ever have seen the TV show Nashville, it's where a lot of singer-songwriters Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it's a whole shtick. So did you move to Nashville to become a musician, or did you already live there? Um, Neither of the <laughs> above. I was living in... LA went, so I went to music school in Boston, moved to LA, then moved to Nashville. Why did you so move to LA? I loved it out there. It's like sunny and wonderful. And I think you're um, the only person I've ever met who loves LA. I went <laughs> once for an art show and I'm like, I don't ever want to come here again, <laughs> except for the weather. It's not a good place to visit unless you have a local to take you around. I will. And I did. That. Okay, really? Yeah, but we spent so much time in traffic. I didn't get to see everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is a big downside to LA, but there is an energy there that really gives me life. It's um, some of some of my favorite things are right there. Like you've got the beach. You could take a middle of the day hike. And I think there's a definitely an essence of um, creativity that I think people around you understand and kind of accept. 
And for example, when I was one time um, at the grocery store, I was like getting a few things really quickly in the checkout line and someone said something that was a good song idea to me. And I pulled out my little notebook to write in it and I watched the person behind me write the same exact thing, like write that down as a note. And I just thought like, we're all out here collecting song seeds. Like, what is this? And it's just those kind of things. I felt like I found a lot of belonging there in that there's an energy of creativity and, you know, no place is perfect, but a lot of places feel like home. And that definitely has that energy to me. And Nashville's a music city. So you get the same thing. A lot of, it's fun to see everybody carrying around an instrument, you know? What brought you there? Um, just kind of the the time of our lives and thinking I knew I was going to be going on tour and I wanted to be in a place that I felt like I could come and go easily and I could meet other musicians and work on the next album and all of that happened. And also an amazing bookstore, Parnassus and Patch at the Authors Bookstore is there and they just like welcomed me with the biggest open arms and I could do, you know, story times there, try out new ideas. And if we wanted to, we could just be like Halloween party today. And that was such a, such a special gift to be part of Parnassus's community because there's a really huge community of writers in Nashville. I mean, it's a songwriter city and then also a literary city. And I, got to see so many sort of people who could be my, my mentor and um, I could look ahead and see, Oh, that's what, what they do in a day to write a story. And it was like a really cool, um, I guess you would call it a culture and a community of writing that I had of course heard about, but felt found it to be true. Do you think you'll stay in Nashville? Um, there, it's just being in a, choosing a place, choosing a city and being somewhere feels like something that might be a journey I'll be on for a while of, you know, I love traveling and I love visiting places to perform. I love visiting friends. So it's hard to know, um, sort of what, what is the forever place or for a while, but I do think that one, one really interesting thing that I've found is that spaces really do affect my creativity and what is amused to me. Like my picture book is called Studio, and I wrote it about this little community workspace that I was working in the summer I moved to Nashville. And that space was full of like painters and some other picture book writers. And it was incredible to, to have that daily window into other artists' lives. And I realized how much a space and looking at other people's art and other people's tools for their art and their notebooks for productivity, right? All those things were so inspiring to me and that's what helped me create my picture book. So I know that spaces and places are really meaningful to me and that's kind of what what I try to trust is my my true north about where I'm where I'm at and where I want to go. The studio that you were at was that the one with Lauren Bowen? 
With, yeah, I think so. With Lauren and um, Rebecca Green yeah. was at the studio. And Guy is there. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yay. And Bob Lauren. The, oh, right, like, right, I couldn't remember the name. And I'm like, I just yeah. know Lauren's there. Lauren's <laughs> there. And she's like such a cool illustrator. And the whole community of artists, we did like a weekly drawing night. Um, I'm so jealous. <laughs> Every that. time, you anytime look- the Warren posts anything, I'm so jealous. <laughs> I'm like, come to Florida. <laughs> Go visit. It's a really family-friendly city too, which was like major perk for me because I got to meet a lot of cool families and kids. So it would be a fun one to bring your whole fam. Go on a little trip. Oh, I would like that. We're like literally trying to figure out like, where do we want to go? Like kids are free until they're two, but like we're already at six, like, time like you blink I don't understand how I have a toddler it's like beyond me he's like a little person now I mean not that they're not little people but like once they hit like 13 months ish like they are like he is a person like definitely what he wants to do like wants to explore knows what he likes lucky for me he likes all the same stuff I like so far so we're we're doing good (laughs) He likes birds and eating and books. I'm like, you are my mini me right now. <laughs> and his name is Ollie and his nickname is Little Bird. Yeah, or Ollie Bird. Ollie Bird. Oh my gosh. And now like he does this funny thing. He's been doing the head nod thing again. I don't know. He's just the best. Like if you ever look at my Insta stories, like it's mostly of him. He like wants to be surrounded by books every blue moon like he's really quiet and I get really nervous like maybe he's into something because that's when children are being bad (laughs) typically but he's usually just reading a book in the corner not to say he is not bad he is like like (laughs) any child but in the moments he just loves reading so he'll just be in the corner reading and it makes my heart explode like (laughs) he's gonna that is so great it makes me so happy yeah. And it will bring him so much joy for his whole life. You know, if that brings him joy now, that's really awesome. I've been trying to teach him how to do a beat <laughs> since he was five months old. And so right now, like it's part of the age, like you just, you learn how to stomp. Like you're really interested in learning how to stomp, like stomp your feet. And so he's obsessed with stomping his feet. But today he was like, he loves music. So he was like tapping his foot to the song that was playing. And what was it? But like, I was at my favorite cafe and my, friend who's the barista there is just like this is a perfect song for you to dance to ollie like (laughs) he has like very specific moves and they don't always go with the music but (laughs) it's the best step one stop (laughs) he was like all of a sudden he has like an interest in blonde women over the last few days (laughs) so today he was like totally peacocking this one girl who was at the cafe and he was stomping for her and like shaking his body and he does this thing where he moves his hand behind his butt and he goes in a circle and he was like laughing and I'm like you're flirting with this woman like (laughs) it's so weird you're a baby you have to stop (laughs) he's trying to like dance for her I'm like this is weird (laughs) I mean it's not but it is you know like got the music in his soul totally does (laughs) all right enough about me so I want to talk to you forever but I know you have a life too and I have a husband who's been taking care of the bird and so let's talk about um 
the projects that are coming out soon and how people can find you online. And I think that's enough things for you to tell me. Yeah. <laughs> Likewise, this has been so awesome. And I'm excited that we got to talk right now because I do have a lot coming up and excited to share about specifically my picture book studio. It's um, called studio, a place for art to start. Love it. And the pictures are so pretty. And there's a little blue ukulele throughout the whole book that you can sort of seek and find. And that book is coming out March 3rd, 2020, which will probably creep up on us. And in the meantime, my album Storytime Sing-Along Volume 3 has the song Studio that goes with my book. Like pre-orders go live on iTunes tomorrow. So October um, 18th is its actual launch day. And then September 18th, you can find it online to pre to pre-order. And, um, that also has a bunch of other songs about books, like how to make friends with a ghost by Rebecca green is on there. Hedgehog by my friend, Ashlyn Anstey, who wrote, are we there Yeti? And the no, no gnome book that are, she's the artist for all of my work. She makes my album art and she's one of my best friends ever. So um, her book's on there. And then my friend Diane Adams book love is, is on there. And the narwhal book by Ben Clanton, the narwhal songs on there. So it's going to be like so much fun to share this album. And then um, in between the two, I have an ukulele instruction guide for kids coming out also in the early spring and it's a color coding system. So you put color dots on your ukulele and then you can play the C, the F, the G and the A minor chord and learn 25 songs that I broke down in the book. So so left brain. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I'm, what do we call it? Uh, Light brain. You're a light, a light rift. Light rift. My rift. (laughs) Um, so I'm very excited about all of those projects. And then really the best place to find me right now is on Instagram because it's a safe, a safe platform, I think for kids that watch what I'm doing. And then also for teachers and librarians to, to be able to see my music and hear my music and communicate. So that's where I'm at. That's a good place to find me. It's hello, Emily Arrow. Is Arrow actually your last name? Or is it a pen name? It's my artist's name and it's become a really special thing. Like today I was taking a ceramics class. Um, that's been quite a challenge. It turns out ceramics isn't for the left brain or the right brain, I guess. <laughs> it's for nobody. <laughs> it's for it's so much fun though. And given me like such an appreciation for the patience of making visual art, man. You are doing it. You are doing it, lady. Um, Ceramics or in general? (laughs) Full art. (laughs) Um, It's a whole different thing. And I needed to put my signature on the back. And my teacher was like, what if we like integrate music and the arrows and we combine like a treble clef and put an arrow at the bottom? And it's like having... um, the word arrow as a part of my artistry has just it like it's welcoming in and it's opened me up and I love it. It's really meaningful to me. I love it. 
So did it come, it didn't come from the ceramics class then? Where did it come? It was from a music teacher. Is that what you said? Or? Um, No, it came, I was sitting in front of my fireplace writing the song, Follow Your Arrow after a trip to Portland, Oregon, a little bit around the time when I was writing um, songs about books for the first time. And I was just musing on, you know, what, what is the heart of what I want would want to share with a kid. And that's really to follow what's what your gut says, like trust that and be real to yourself and, and take care of yourself. And I felt like the follow your arrow was my way of sharing that. And through writing that song, I realized, you know, that was the ethos of me and my artistry. So sort of evolved out of, out of a song process. I love that. Yay. I so love talking to you so much. Thank you. This was so wonderful. We are like soul sisters. And I want to dance. I'm singing. <laughs> My first time reason I'm singing Lady Marmalade. <laughs> oh, yeah. It goes soul sister in that. Okay. I'm like, why is that in my head? <laughs> oh, one last question. So the way my the way I describe my musical brain is I call myself a jukebox. And so I'll often be singing like row, row, row your boat, but then I'll sing like a Whitney Houston song and then I'll sing like a jingle and then I'll sing, you know, the wheels on the bus before I had kids. Like it has nothing to do with being a mom. And I'm curious if your brain is a jukebox too. Um, well, also, I'm just going to say, I think you're also part DJ because of your headphones. <laughs> 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 But I do this thing. My brain is more of a like, um, in an in an okay way, a broken record <laughs> than a jukebox because it's like same line over and over. So if it were like the wheels on the bus go round and round, the wheels on the bus go. Round Mine do that too. Right? It's like. <laughs> And that feels good to me, actually. It's just like, here we go, on and on. Does it feel good to your partner? You know, it doesn't come out all the time. Oh, mine is always out. Okay. Really, I I sing. It's so funny because to get, like, I just sing all the time, but now I have a little person with me. And so I would just sing songs about us or whatever. And then I'd be so, um, a lot of those songs I still sing because they're catchy. Like, And it's been like 16 months. So like when he was born, um, I wanted him to stop crying or something. And so we wrote him, I wrote him like a little Ollie jingle. So I was like, Oliver is here right now. Oliver is here right now. Oliver is here right now. Ollie, Ollie, Ollie. And then there's more. And then we just made a a family album because we still sing that song. And it was, it's called Oliver is Here right now. It's like our first family album. <laughs> so sweet. Oh my gosh. I love it. It would calm I'm, him when he was little. And then I just, you know, it just keeps going, you know? Yeah. It's why stop? I think one of the things that kids know that we um, forget about is that repeating stuff is fun. Like, if you reread a book, it's fun. If you watch a movie again, it's fun. Learning how to sing in front of kids, that was hard for me because I wanted to just, I felt like the parents would get really annoyed. But it really is true. Like, 
the second time around, like, then they're like, oh, okay, I know this now. Like, I'll sing with the next chorus. So I started, like, really, like, extending, like, the wheels on the bus because there's so <laughs> many, like, you can include creatures in the bus. Like, you could do so many things in the bus that aren't, like, what they normally hear. <laughs> yes. I love that song, by the way. It's a great <laughs> Me one. too. That's a good example of, like, it goes on forever and ever, but it's tireless. I mean, I don't even know. Actually, it would be really interesting to look up the history of that particular song. But at this point, it's generations and decades. True. And there's already, there's like hand motions and verbalization, which is really fascinating. And so my son, he started going, he doesn't have like the coordination to do the wheels. So he just does this. And like, so I try, and I don't know if that's actually what he's doing. Because he's not necessarily doing it when I sing the song. Like, he's probably dancing but maybe it's because they do this thing so, where like once they learn something they practice it a lot so like the weirdest thing when he was like maybe six months old he was learning how to turn his wrist so he'd be going to bed and he'd be practicing like this is how I turn my wrist I'm assuming that's what his brain was doing and I would feed him in the middle of the night and he would go like just turn his wrist it was so fascinating <laughs> That's really cool. They to, that's why they say a lot of children get really tired when they're in like a new leap of learning is because a lot of times when they learn a new word or a new skill, they'll like repeat it. So like they might be in the corner reading, but saying like, kitten, 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 you know, like trying the repetition part. Yeah, it's hard work. I feel it, man. They must be exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, they're so full of energy. Like, yeah. but maybe if I took three naps every day, I'd be full of energy too. Like, <laughs> or, or not, right? If I was like, my life is about sleep now, I would not have energy. I'd probably just read the whole day. Yeah, exactly. But then that would make me tired. <laughs> well, anyways, I really enjoyed talking to you. <laughs> I really appreciate the work that you make and I appreciate you taking the time to connect with me. This was really fun. Keep in touch. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. If you liked the episode, please subscribe or even better, leave a review. It makes iTunes really happy and hopefully makes them share this podcast with other people, which would make me really happy. If you have any ideas for topics to cover or for people you'd like me to interview, please email me. My email address is in the show notes. And thank you again. Have a great day.